Welcome to the Reticle Up Podcast, where I, Three Gun Kenzie, will be interviewing competitive shooters, hunters, fishermen, archers, entrepreneurs, and outdoorsmen. Come learn with me as I interview people from all walks of life, in different disciplines, all across the world, from novices to professionals of all ages. No matter what, everyone has something they can teach you. So come join me on the journey. Welcome back to the Red Club podcast, everyone. I am here with Jeffrey Abraham. He is very hard to track down, y'all. So I'm excited he's on. Um, Credentials-wise, so he's the owner of Class 3 Firearms Dealer and Training Company, Not Right Shooters, which we'll talk about. He's a competitive shooter and defensive shooting instructor. Did I cover everything or is there more? Uh, That about covers it. You know, I'm I'm an extreme, you know, there's a lot of extreme sports out there. I'm an extreme hobbyist. <laughs> I if, like that. If you ask my wife, she says I'm on like hobby 562. So, <laughs> love know. it. Yeah. Uh, she has how many hobbies for for every one of yours? Uh, she's got one. She collects diamonds. Oh, good for her. I feel like that's an even trade. <laughs> <laughs> All my right, hobbies so- come and go. Her diamonds are still here. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, let's discuss this wrong-handedness. So um, how much fun is it being a lefty in a right-handed person's world? Uh, you know, growing up, you don't recognize it. Mm-hmm. When you get older and you start realizing that notebooks and clipboards and everything are all geared towards right-handers. Scissors. It's like, why do you fumble scissors? Well, because the the angle of the thumb hole is the wrong way. Um so one of the jo- greatest, we used to t- score competition shooting on paper okay. and our sheets, and I would turn the clipboard for a left-hander and give, then give the clipboard back to a right-hander. And they couldn't figure out why it was so uncomfortable. And I'm laughing inside. Welcome to my world. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Like that. But from a shooting standpoint, so I, I start, we can talk a little bit about Not Right Shooters. I started Not Right Shooters early on as part of the, the thought process that being left-handed had some inherent limitations and we, I was going to serve the left-handed community. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem that I found was that was, most of that was up here. There are some physical items on a firearm or manipulating the firearm that become important um, that I wouldn't say um, are problematic, but they hinder or they slow down um, performance. So mechanical functions like um, working the safety, um, bolts, uh, those kinds of things become an issue. But brass flying in front of your face, you know, you, you get used to that. And from a competition world, so when I first started, I had a left-handed AR. Mm. And the first time you have that AR go down, you realize you got nobody that's got any parts. Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's entirely proprietary. And, and there wasn't such a significant benefit of having basically having brass eject the other side. Yeah. That it, may, that it made any sense. There are some things that, that do um, make some sense. Um, you know, there's a significant disadvantage if you're running a bolt rifle, uh, a right-handed bolt rifle as a left-handed, there's some folks that say that there's, there's an advantage, uh, simply because 
you're you're close to to the bolt when you when you're running it. Um, I think it depends on on the situation you're in. Some of the the bolt shooting that I do is you're not you're not on a bench, you're not prone, so you're not as stable. Mm-hmm. So anytime you disconnect from it, it can it, it makes it much more difficult for you to follow your shot, stuff like that. So you have to stay on the rifle a little bit longer than maybe a right hander on a right handed bolt rifle. Do you shoot everything left hand, left shoulder, left eye dominant? I do, unless you run into an evil match director who gives zero consideration to the left-hander. Okay, my next question, I'm not kidding, I wrote this down. Ready for it? I said, what are some things you want to say to match directors for all the lefties out there listening right now? You get your chance. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, you know, the... It, we, we get we get used to looking at things w- one way and and it, you know especially in, in the competition matches the pistol matches and stuff you know I'm a salmon women walking upstream because I'm walking against the the grain because I always want to try if I can go right to left yeah and right handers want to go left to right so it's like you know playing Frogger as you're walking the stage um, but the other thing is is they don't look at it um, necessarily with, from the right, uh, from the left hand is perspective. And, um, especially with the onset of PCC on the, on the, in the pistol matches, you're shouldering a firearm. Um, so you can look around a wall and you can get your head all the way around the wall, but you can't do much with this unless you shoulder on the other side. Yeah. Um, there was, there was a, a stage last year in, in the South, Car- South Carolina match. Remember that, that, that had, it actually had, um, a, a clamshell that, that came up. So you forced me, the left-hander on a PCC. Now a handgun, you probably can make it work, but on PCC, it forced me to start right-handed on the activator, then shoot it and clear the other targets. And then as I moved across, switch to, to the correct side for <laughs> those of us that have overcome right-handedness, which is just very common. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, when you have a stage that's a 25 or 30 second stage, that's that's a significant dis- disadvantage. So some balance you it, it would 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 be helpful. There's some situations that can can create a safety um, yeah. issue that that you don't think of. Um, we had uh, at one at a three gun match, we had a hard, hard left um, slug target outside of a, a, a window, a building. And most of your left-handers had to basically get get up on the windowsill to be able to get that, unless they unless they shifted and tried to take that shot right-handed. Oof. It wasn't a super close shot; it was a reasonably sized target. Um, so most of your left-handers tried to get up on the window windowsill to to do that. So um, so there's there's some of those things. It you know what I would say from from a, a a planning standpoint is find somebody in in your cadre that's left-handed and have them walk it yeah. you know have, have them walk it it's it's really you know from a fairness and equitability standpoint um you know you, you know given it doesn't have to be balanced but it has it has to be reasonable um and and you find that sometimes every once in a while you you get one that's just how do you expect me to do this <laughs> kind of thing? So. I've never forgotten the South Carolina stage. I can see it in my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, that, that was, a, that was a rough one. It was, it was definitely a, a disadvantage for us on the other side. Oh, bless you. So, I mean, for bolt action though, you do get set up for, for left-hander action now, right? 
Um, I am, I'm actually shooting the, the Seekins hip rifle, which is a right-handed bolt, bolt rifle. Okay. Okay. Um, I have a left-handed bolt rifle made, but, it, but you, you know, you run into the same, the, the same problem that I ran into with my a, left-handed AR. It's not a high volume manufacturing process. It doesn't get a lot of attention. It's very difficult to get parts. And some of these, these, you know, precision rifles, they're already, you know, pushing the limits and everything's within thousands and all of that. So it's, it's, um, it doesn't have the same, they, they don't typically, what I found, they don't have the same level of performance or tolerances um, in, in the left hand, at least the ones that, that I've had. Um, and there, there's some decent, these are de- decent companies. I don't, you know, I don't c- care to mention names, but they're decent, they're decent companies, but I think it's just inherent in, you know, you've got maybe 10% focus on, on the left-handed side and, you know, 90% focus on, on the right-handed side, you know, it is kind of, kind of funny when you talk to, uh, my friends at, at, at Seekins and we, they, and people ask them, you know, what about left-handed? What about left-handed? And the, the answer they give is, well, we've got a 50 gallon drum in the back. And every time we get a request for a left-handed, we put it in there. And when it gets filled up, that, that do it. so, you know, I'm trying to send a daily email, <laughs> but they've caught on to my pattern of email addresses. So I need lefty help. So if you're listening to this podcast, go email. That's right. That's right. So, so I think it's, you know, part of it is, is I mean, you know, you, you just got to acknowledge that that there's fewer left-handers. It doesn't get the amount of focus. Um, it's not, you know, I'm in, also in the home building business. And years ago, you draw all your plans with the garage on the right side. Mm-hmm. And if you have to build the, the, the plan with the garage on the left side, you take the plan, you turn it around and you hold it up to the sun. And you look through it backwards. And so, it, you know, a lot of people think it's just that simple. Just just flip it. You know, you've got CAD systems and stuff like that. But you have to, you know, set up the machines and, and, and test them and, and all of that. So it's not as simple as pushing a button. If it's a simple drawing, yeah, yeah you can flip it. But then translating it to an automated process and in making that work is is a lot harder so so that's why as not right shooters as as we went started to, to shift i started looking at what's critically important and how do we adapt to to what's not so important so things like working a you know being able to have an ambi safety mm-hmm. um an a- ambi bolt release mag release those things are yeah. mechanical functions yeah. um but the other stuff, uh, you know, you, you can work with, you know, the long range, you know, you're dialing, you're, you have to, you have to deal with parallax, the parallax knobs always on the left side, you know, so typically, so, um, so there's, you know, there's some, some mechanical things that you just got to adapt to and crazy. you just acknowledge that. Yeah. Okay. So switching gears and diving into all of the certifications that you have. So once again, like your title, I know you're also, we both are NRA certified instructors. So we can teach some of the classes and range safety officer, certified Glock armor, and you are certified as an intuitive defensive shooting instructor for ice training company. So what all do you do with that? (laughs) I don't do much in the NRA realm. There's, there's a lot of folks that, that focus on that. Um, My focuses uh, from an instructor standpoint is heavily on the defensive side mm-hmm. and 
I came to the realization on the defensive side probably over a decade ago that it's not about shooting. Um, the, the, the shooting problem in a defensive shoot, an appropriate civilian defensive shoot, is, is relatively simple. It's you know high center chest, size of a sheet of paper. So it's relatively simple. Um, you know, you, you might have a headshot, but those are considered precision shots and, and, and you work on that. The biggest issue um, in a defensive shoot, and this is what I think separates what I consider to be real defensive courses and people that just call them defensive courses um, that are really shooting courses defi- de- de- uh, disguised as a defensive course, is the ability to make decisions in the moment. So gather information, evaluate that information and make the decision in the moment that you require, that requires you to take the shot, what shot to take, is it an appropriate shot? Is there another alternative? Because one of the things that we, we teach is unless you're protecting life or you're protecting a loved one or somebody you care about, and maybe it's not even somebody you know, um, if you can leave this situation, there's no need for the fight. There's no need for the fight, even in states like Texas, where you can protect personal property with lethal force in certain circumstances. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we just witnessed the, 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 the case up um, in Wisconsin um, where he had a defensive use of the, uh, of the, the AR. He was acquitted of those charges. But at what cost? Um, ignore the financial cost because the financial cost will bankrupt you. Oh yeah, but PTSD. But he's he yeah for the rest career. of his life yeah. he he's going to deal with that for the rest of his life he's he's going to carry the stigma. And what we don't understand is oftentimes folks that you think are your friends, family, um, all of a sudden become very judgmental when you've taken somebody's life for whatever reason, even if it's. Even it's in, in a true defensive situation where, where your life is being threatened. Some people very, have a very hard time accepting that. And, and so you get ostracized. Um, you can get acquitted criminally yep. and get, get charged civilly. So we really push people to understand if you can escape the situation safely and you don't have a need to engage, then get out. Yep. Get out. But you have to be able to process that information in the immediate moment, um, which means training under cognitive load, um, having to, to make decisions on what to do and how to do it in the midst of chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not the, the, you know, the crazy, you know, videos you see on YouTube where, you know, you're shooting bullets past somebody's head and they're walking back and forth. It's not, it's really about what your mind does. So you get folks that'll stand and with the timer and they'll, you know, stand there and they'll draw and they'll take the shot and then they'll show you the timer and they're like, yeah, I got to draw and first shot on target one second. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is you knew it was coming. Right. So what we're talking about is an ambush. Um, you're walking in the mall with your kids, your spouse, and all of a sudden you hear gunfire. Okay, you weren't prepared for that. So how long does it take you to determine that you that it's actual gunfire, that your your life or somebody around you's life is is being threatened, and that you need to take action? And then what action do you take? And not just that is they're probably still processing where are the exits? What 
you know, building am I in? What room? Yeah. They, they're not aware of that. They didn't check that on the way in. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's a, a big part of it that, that to me sets things apart as it relates to um, true defensive training. And it's really hard to have true defensive training because yep. we're shooting paper. Yep. Nobody's shooting back at us. So we're, we're mimicking things, but we're starting to, to condition responses. And, um, and part of that takes understanding the physiology of how the body works, how the brain works. Um, and that's part of what in, in the intuitive defensive shooting program, that's part of what we try to do. Um, we look at dash cam videos, surveillance videos. We take information from testimony to try and decipher not just what people said happened, but what did actually happen? And what did the body do? How did the body do it? Um, and then we try to integrate um, the, the um, you know, so there's very specific things that happen with, with in your brain. Uh, people talk about tunnel vision. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not really tunnel vision. Um, it's what happens is the center of your eye gets hyper, hyper, hyper energized, hyper focused. You've got cones and rods in your eye. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's, it's processing information at a, at a much faster pace. It's kind of like the middle of your eye is high definition and suddenly the periphery is low definition. Mm. So your brain is processing all this information at a super high speed. Well, what does that do? That narrows your, 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 your sights. And, and what you're focusing on. So you have to very consciously break focus in between events that, that require you to do that. That's number one. The other thing it does is it distorts the perception of time. So if you've ever been in an accident, it looks like everything's happening in slow motion, yet you can't respond. Yep. And that that's because instead of playing at 60 frames per second it's playing at 120 frames per second yep. and it looks like it's slower but what does that do for 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 us uh, in a defensive situation we struggle then with understanding what's really happening in real time so manipulating fine motor skills um is something you want to try and avoid Looking at your firearm in a defensive situation is something you want to try and avoid because the information will have gaps in it. Mm. That's why first-person testimony of events is not usually as accurate as witness testimony of events. Interesting. Yeah. So if you look at and you talk, so you know you get you get a police officer. Yeah, I only took four shots. Hey, your magazine's empty. You're at slide lock. Well, because they, it's all happening so quickly. Right. Um, yet the, the, all the perceptions are distorted. So as best as we can, we try to integrate some of that stuff into our training. So things like when you're startled, the first thing that one of the things that happens when you're startled, you get this grasp reflex. So when you're walking through and you, you think there's somebody in your house and, you're, and you've got the gun in your hand, you don't want your finger on the trigger. Mm -mm. And we talk about, you know, trigger discipline anyways, but in a defensive situation, you see, you, you'll see some people that have finger on the trigger. Well, somebody startles you, 
Oh, and yeah. you have that grasp leaf like gun's going to go off. Yeah. yeah. It might be your kid. It might not be what you think it is. Right. So, um, so that's why I think, you know, uh, understanding the, the physiology of the body, trying to integrate it into your training uh, through that process, putting yourself uh, under cognitive load. And that's hard to train by yourself and be put under cognitive load. But with, with an instructor uh, or a friend that understands that thing, that there's drills and things you can do to put you under cognitive load. And there really is not a, a drill that you can do that just says, yeah, you're good. Right. Because what 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 guarantees safety? I yeah. mean, if, if if is it five shots in five seconds? I don't know. Um, it's whatever stops the bad guy. Yeah. Um, whatever cam gets, videos, and it's like I don't know, seventeen knife stabs, or it is emptying a magazine before they even stop with the adrenaline dump. Yeah. So so you so it, it's hard when when people say, well, and and you hear you see it on the media, you you see he politicians say, well, you know, why can't you shoot at the knee or shoot at the hand? Or why did you, you know, why do you need, you know, more than eight rounds in a gun? Um, you know, and, and they're, they just simply don't understand the physiology. So, you know, there's a great article out there, um, about why do they, why do they shoot somebody in the back? Um, and so, we had the situation down here um, where he the, the the guy tried to get the uh, taser and he turned and ran and he was shooting behind him and the police officer shot him and he turned and shot him in the back and everybody said he shot him in the back. He shot him in the back. But if you break down that video and you and you figure out the time it takes for the mind to recognize he's not a threat anymore mm-hmm. to get to get through to your body and stop the movement yeah um you're you're three four shots in before anything stops yeah so when we train and once we get past the fundamentals it's three to six shots mm-hmm. random you pick it don't make, don't build a pattern it's never two shots it's three to six shots because the physiology is that's about how long you're it's going to take if you're pulling the trigger as you know fast to recognize that threat has stopped or right. that threat is going down. Right. And, and so if they're turning as you're pulling the trigger, there's a good chance you might shoot them in the back in those, in, in those four to six shots. Yeah. And, and so, so that's, you know, but that's understanding the physiology. Interesting. So there's the scientific stuff, the brain, the eyes, all of that cognitive stuff. Then like, what are the drills or what are some things that people can do? Like, are video games helpful where, you know, images pop up really fast and they select a button or something to, like, decide? Is that even a thing? It's it's not because, again, you're prepared. You know like, something's going to happen. Yeah. And so you're, you're sitting there and you're going, mm. you know, it's like, you know, whack-a-mole. I, was I know the mole's coming. I just don't <laughs> know where the mole's coming from. Sure. You know, but, but they should have like a clown thing punch out at them. Yeah. Um, so, and there's the other thing that that um, you have to remember is so to me, it's a race to the last shot, not a race to the first shot. Yeah. Right? You need to process, process, process before yeah. you even. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so you really you, you've got to be able to respond in in, in that in that vein. Um, how quickly can you, and that, and that's one of the reasons that, that we say 
nine mil modern nine millimeter holler point is 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 around to carry because there is really is no such thing except with with some luck of a one shot shot stop and when you really dig into the one shot stop a lot of those are psychological stops like oh i got some dude shooting at me and i didn't expect that this isn't going to be an easy robbery i'm getting out of here that's that's a psychological stop you may not hit him you might have skidded off the, the the concrete so if I've got to take multiple shots, I want as many rounds as I can with recoil management as easy as I can. So my, so my subsequent and follow-up shots are as quick as I can. Right. Cause you're going to have probably sloppy fundamentals, especially if you don't train. Like, I mean, we shoot Correct. a lot, but yeah. 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 So, so, you know, some of the fundamentals that, that we train, we, we, we train base fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we start out with um kinesthetic alignment shooting so we do not use the sights okay um you know so it's both eyes opens yeah it's both eyes open focused on the target it's you know basically the the farthest distance is is would be from across the room um and we get get very comfortable shooting target focused multiple shots on the high center chest once we once we get that then we'll move to precision shots, um, which which are, you know, basically three inch, you know, you're, you're mimicking this area in here. Um, and, and those shots are one shot. You get one shot. Um, and with that, um, and the reason you get one shot is that head is not going to be there after the first shot. So if you miss, you have to completely start the process. So all over again, not funny. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, but, but it's understanding that we're trying to train in context. Mm-hmm. And so somebody that takes that one shot and misses the three inch circle, you got to live with that. Yeah. So I taught a class last year and the guy said before the, long before the class, I, he, I, I had heard that, that he said this, so I set it up. <laughs> That he could take a headshot from 25 yards with his wife as a hostage. <laughs> so we, we taught the class. And at the end of the class, we said, wait a second, we've got a bet to settle. <laughs> so we set the, the target and we set the hostage right there. Mm-hmm. And he was getting ready. We said, oh, wait, wait, wait. We're not done yet. My buddy had printed out a picture of his wife's face. <laughs> And we put it on the no shoot target (laughs) and he took his first shot and I think it's orbiting the moon. He was so high above the guy's head because he didn't want to get anywhere near getting his wife. His son was at the class too. His second shot, he put right here into his wife. And I turned to the son. I said, he just killed mom. Do you want him to save you? He said, no, I'll take my chances. (laughs) Um, So the thing is, is we have these perceptions of what we can and can't do. Yeah. Precision shots. Every time you pull the trigger on a defensive handgun, you should have a hundred percent confidence that you're going to get that hit. If if you do not, then you shouldn't take the shot. Yeah, yeah. There's another alternative, you know, whatever it is. But and so people would ask, well, why don't you let them have a follow up shot on the precision shot? It's because they need to have that dopamine dump of, oh crap. I missed. Yeah. And where did that bullet go? Yep. Did it hit somebody behind them? 
Did it, did it hit the hostage? Did it, you know, hit my loved one? Where did it go? If you let them shoot until they finally get the hit, they might get four, take four shots to finally get one in the three inch circle. They feel really good about themselves. Right. They killed like three other people on the way because those other three <laughs> shots went somewhere. Right. So, so, so when we train in context, then you can start um, applying the skills um, in, in that vein. So that's, that's part of the, the process. So we, what we do is we'll, we try to develop the skill. So, you know, kinesthetic alignment, shooting both eyes open, those kinds of things. Once we develop the skill, uh, once we learn the skill, then we'll develop it in context. So we'll, we'll start running some drills where all they're doing is shooting high center chest. Um, and then we'll do an, an evaluative drill. And if they're doing pretty good with that, then we'll either go back and learn some uh, another skill set and develop it through that um, learning process. Or we'll expand the circumstances of, of its use. Okay. If they're not grasping it, then we go back and continue to develop the skill more. It's a similar until they can apply it. Yeah, they've got to they've got to be able to apply it on demand. Yeah. There's no reason to have like this quote unquote toolbox of all these skills, and you've like and you've not you're not you know efficient in in any one of them. Right. <laughs> so it's it's important for you to know what you're capable of and what you're not capable of in, in your mind. Um, so that, that, that student who thought he was capable of a 25 yard headshot knows he's not capable of a 25 yard headshot. Might he make a 15 yard headshot? Maybe. Yeah. But you've got to train it. Yeah. 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 You've got to train it. So, so that's part of it. So we have drills to, to, to set up the skills and then we move to applying the skills and then we start combining multiple skills. So once they, they understand how the, the kinesthetic alignment, the multiple shots in the high center chest, then we'll go and, and do some precision shots. Basically, the, the, the way we instruct it is by, both eyes open as long as you can. You close an eye and focus on the front sight when you need to. You make the decision because you might need to focus on it sooner than me or vice versa. So right. I can't tell you when you get to... 10 yards, close one eye. There might be people at 10 yards, like, you know, just rocking with, with both eyes open and still hitting a precision shot. Cool. That's the thing about this is we all, from a defensive standpoint, we have to understand our skill sets. Yeah. And what we're capable of. Yeah. Um, so, so that many don't, especially like when we see the, the news with concealed carriers, like they're injuring more human or more friends or family members or what have you. Um, and I share that in one of my classes up here in Tennessee and it's brutal. Um, yeah, because they, 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 they don't know. Um, well, and I'm sure you get the, the, the classic question every time we have an unfortunate shooting, it's like, Oh, if there's a, a concealed carry person there, you know, you know, what would you have done? Yeah. It's like, I have no idea. You don't know. Uh, you, you, you don't know what chaos is going on. You don't know what the opportunities are. You, you, you can't answer it. So that's that, that shooting, um, inside the church where the security, you know, that was very telling. So some of the physiology we talk about, um, you could see happening within different people in, in the church. Um, you don't get that, that kind of footage often. No. So, so it's, it really is an opportunity to learn. Um, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of posting stuff like that, yeah. except that there's always an opportunity to learn. And if I'm supposed to be an educator, then I, I, that's my commitment. It's not to 
either make light or embarrass or critique somebody. It's really to make sure that we learn from every opportunity we can when we're handling a firearm in the public space because it's a tremendous responsibility. There was an article yesterday or a post yesterday by the Snellman where a nine-year-old uh, got a hold of a gun and shot a seven-year-old yeah. left in the in the car. You know, so we talk about you know the responsibility of of gun ownership and um, you know off body versus on body and all of those those the, those things um, because it it is it is a right and it should be an, in my opinion should be an unfettered right. Sure. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to train, to be qualified, and to be safe and to to not allow unauthorized access. Yeah, it's it's a double-edged sword of wanting our rights like a, as American blanket across the US, but also expecting everyone to go get educated, which that's not the case at all. But they should. They should. They, should. they just hard to do. Um I actually have a question on like how did you learn all of this or who did you learn under to to get all of like this knowledge? Um so <laughs> I uh I was doing nothing but competitions, just nothing but competitions. Um, and uh, I started paying attention to some of the defensive stuff going on. And I started recognizing that although our competitions are fun and it teaches you kind of some gun handling, it really doesn't serve much in the way of a defensive shooting platform um, because it, everything is rehearsed. You, you're and and because, yeah, you've got. I mean, you've got to walk through. The other thing that you've got is you've got a clock, so you start negotiating um, techniques and form to shave time. Yeah, you start negotiating gear Crappy to shave time. Too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so suddenly you come out there and you've got this, you know, tricked out race gun, and you're shooting bullets at thirteen hundred feet per second, and and the gun's just like, you know. It, <laughs> You know, and and you're like, ah, look how fast I am. But the, but the problem is, is that's not the gear you're going to carry on the street. Yeah, um, not at all. Yeah, I mean, it's like setting up your 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 car to go race at a drag strip. You're not going to drive on the street that way. It's good for the drag strip. You get all the weight out and all that stuff, and just <laughs> go. But um, so. So I went and I, I signed up for a class in Augusta with an instructor, which, you know, I, I know that he that there's there are folks that that um, that love him and there are folks that hate him. Um, Rob Pincus. And uh, he, he's the one that that really at that time it was called combat focus shooting and, and it switched names to intuitive defensive shooting a, a few years ago. Um, and. Uh, I took two, a two-day class with him, you know, came out there. It was rough. I left. It took me three or four months to process what I learned and really kind of put it in perspective. Because I was doing okay in, in competition. I felt like, you know, hey, I'm pretty good, you know. And, you know, he, yeah, he shattered that bubble within about 15 minutes. Um, but he supported it with the physiology, with yeah. science, with, and he, and he asked you to challenge it because he'll change. He's evolved over, over the, over the decades, he's evolved his, his teachings and stuff based on, um, new information, new data, um, new technologies, 
um, and all, all of those things. So um, I had nothing. I, I, I couldn't challenge him, you know, because everything I was doing was shaving time. And, you know, I'm running out there with a gun out there and I'm looking at my reloads and I'm doing all the things that he doesn't want you to do. And he explains why he doesn't want you to do that and why in a defensive situation, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I committed to start taking course defensive courses every year. Interesting. And um, and I, I, I was taking from different instructors, but I always came back to rob and some of his uh, his other instructors took the course from them every year carbine course handgun course um home defense um you mean you didn't want to take tactical shotgun class yeah no no um and uh and so over the years of, of doing it um he came out with a program called counter ambush training and so I, I, I went through that. It was, it was basically a, a distance learning program. It's DVD, but it was, a DVD. it contained all the science. It contained all the physiology. And as I'm going through this program, the lights were going on because it was really starting to connect all the stuff I would been, I'd been training with the why yeah. and, and, you know, and the deep why, not just the kind of the surface, you know, quick answer why, but the deep why. And so um, I decided that the next step for me was to, be, to become an instructor. And, and I really, in, in, the, in the, when I took that combat, I mean, the uh, counter ambush program, that's kind of when my shift, my focus on competition shooting shifted. The, 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 the drive to, to get better and, and win and do all that stuff, it just kind of shifted um, because I wanted to be, defensively safe. I wanted to be able to protect myself, my loved ones, um, and be able to respond if I need to respond. Uh, and the two of them kind of work against each other. If you invest the same, same level of effort, um, in in both of them. Yeah. And and negate each other. Yeah. So, so that's, uh, that's why, you know, I enjoy competition shooting. I enjoy the people. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, Um, and I just, I have a different perspective about it based on, um, you know, especially you go through what we went through with the riots and stuff like that. And you're, 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 you know, we used to drive straight through Atlanta to go to the airport. Well, during the riots, we didn't, we would go around the perimeter and do different things. And because it was a re it was, it was a real risk. It was a real threat and you didn't know where it was going to come from. You come up to a stoplight and, uh, you know, you, you might be a victim. I mean, the, the, these kids selling water bottles, you know, na- uh, bottles of water on freeway. So um, there's, um, there's evil around us. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can't get away from it, but you can prepare for it as best as you can. Well said. Well, you can talk about the competition a little bit. So where did you start into the competitive shooting though? So I started in USPSA and, and it, it, the way I got into it is there was a local range here, indoor range. I joined it. I showed up one night to, to practice and the guy says, I'm sorry, the range is closed. I'm like, what do you mean it's closed? Their hours are, you know, he said, oh, they're doing a competition out there. You're more than welcome to watch. So I'm like, okay, I'll go out there and watch. So I, I go out there to watch and this guy comes up to me, Carlos Rubio. I don't know if you met him, but he's, he's an old goat on, on, uh, on the, uh, USPSA circuit. He's a, actually a, a local sheriff here. 
uh, Cherokee County Sheriff. Um, he was running the, running the match and he came up and started talking to me. And he said, well, why didn't you shoot it? Well, you know, and I said, no, I don't have any of the gear. And he said, well, we'll get you set up with gear. You know, you're shooting a Glock. We've got holsters. We got, we got, you know, mag pouches. You got ammo. You got your gun. You got magazines. We're, we're good. With, and I'm like, all right, I got him. I got him. Yeah, I'm a left-hander. He uh, goes, so am I. Come out to my truck. Oh, you're hooked. That's awesome. That and that was it. <laughs> that's awesome. That was it. And so if he uh, hadn't actually, been a left-hander and if he hadn't been that guy, you wouldn't be shooting. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so, so yeah. He, um, so, you know, um, the, the, uh, all of the cost and all of the firearms, it's all it's Carlos's all, fault. Yep. Yes. Yep. <laughs> oh God. That's funny. How did you do in your first competition? Do you remember? Uh, I hit the backstop, you know, I, I, I did, I got some holes in paper. Um, it was, it was so mechanical. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I had never drawn out of a holster. I mean, I'd go, I'd go to a square range, gun in a bag, in, in, you know, and pull it out, stand there and shoot, you know, a gun with no movement. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I'm standing there with a holster and he's saying, go slow, be safe. And I'm like, you know, real like robotic sure. and mechanical and tentative. And, you know, the, the concrete floor in the, in the ranges are covered, you know, they have a, this thin film of gunpowder. So they're slick as can be. Um, and anybody that knows me, I just knows I'm not Fred Astaire out there anyway. So, you know, um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a challenge at first, but I was hooked. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. So then, USBSA, what came next? How did you even get to the three-gun world? Uh, so I did a couple of carbine matches. Is that the Novesky series? Only. No, it was bef even before the Novesky series. There was, a, there was a range in Alabama that, that would do a, a, a monthly carbine match. Cool. And, and there was a group of us that would travel together, um, you know, Chris Patey and Mark Lieber and all, we would travel. And so we did, we started doing these, these, these carbine matches. Um, and, and it was fun. Yeah. And then up here at, at the rain, local range river bend, they did a three gun match, but it's a different three gun match. It's basically one stage, three guns, three bays, you know, so kind of like a multi-gun kind of thing. Um, and like, Oh, this is kind of cool. And, uh, so, and I don't even remember what my first true three gun match was. Huh. Um, we did, we were up at rock castle. We did blue Ridge a few times, which is, you know, probably on the upper end of challenging. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I remember one of them, you had to sling a shotgun and we figured that out on day one. So on <laughs> at the night of uh, that night, we're all in our hotel room trying to rig slings on our shotguns because we'd never set up our shotguns with slings right you know and uh so um but so we got hooked you know we did you know texas multi-gun fort benning multiple times you know task force dagger was another one that was was uh, a lot of fun um you know obviously memorial three guns a regular one for me um and uh you know, it just offers a, a wider range of challenges. Um, they, they test you, not only your ability to run, run your gear, but um, to understand your gear. So there was one stage in one of the 
um, three gun matches where you're going through a tunnel and you're crawling through a tunnel with your shotgun and they had these low ports and they had clays out there, they had like 10 clays on each side, but the clays were like five feet from you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people like me look at it and go, well, that's easy. And don't pay attention and they, and, and go off. And then when I get in there to shoot and I lay that shotgun down and try to take a shot and I don't have it against my shoulder. Cause I'm just like point it's, it's, it's not cycling. And, and I didn't understand what was going on. So I'm like racking it. And then so it's like, <laughs> you need a well gas over and under. yeah. <laughs> and I, and I'm like, I get done and I say, I don't know what's wrong with my shotgun. And, and the RO goes, nothing. You got to put yep. that thing against your shoulder. And so you start <laughs> learning about your gear and your equipment. And, you know, you, you, I mean, like slings. Slings are like the putter of, of shooting because like I've got a box of slings that like, Oh, that looks like the next great thing. And you know, and you're dragging your rifle on the ground. Um, so, so you gotta, you gotta kind of test it and learn it and, and, uh, you know, kind of real world applications. And, um, and that's why the, you know, kind of this, this, some of the sniper stuff, you know, the time that I spent up at Hat Creek training, um, last summer, it's like, I mean, this was the real deal. I mean, you, you, you know, you throw away the, 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 you know, the marketing stuff and figure out how to, how to get shots on target and high angles, long distances with the gear that you have, the yeah. gear that you bring. So you did three and then you, yeah, you played in PRS, right. Or dabbled. Yeah. 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 Have you done NRL 22? No, I have not. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. So that, that'd dabbling. be hobby 563. I want to see you in a cowboy action. I know you guys got a club. <laughs> uh, see the cowboy action, you know, the, the costumes, the name. I mean, you know, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of attraction to that. Oh yeah. No, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Maybe that'll be for your boomer years. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh God. Um, if you had to choose though, and, and I know you like the defensive side more, but if you had to choose one shooting discipline for the rest of your life, what would you choose? So to, to shoot or to train? To shoot. You can only shoot one type of competition for the rest of your life. One type of competition? Mm-hmm. It would probably be, it would probably be the, 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 the long range sniper type stuff. I figured it's totally yeah. where you're at right now. Yeah. <laughs> now do you yeah, hunt as be- well? Oh, go ahead. No, I don't. I, I actually don't hunt. That's on my bucket list. I, okay. I, I, I absolutely want to hunt. I actually, I also want to learn how to, how to sh- shoot a bow. I was waiting for the bow. Now you have to get a lefty bow though. So yes. that's another thing. <laughs> yes. That'd be fun. Yeah. Um, for people though, like wanting to get in any of these sports, um, what do you have recommendations for them to like learn the rules or how to shoot, you know, the competition itself? Like, what do you recommend that they do? So, so like, like my experience, when I walked out onto that range, that's, that's really the, the kind of the broad based experience I've seen in the shooting sports world is people embrace helping you. When you have a situation and you're at a match, maybe it's a, it's a, even a nationals match and you have a problem with your gun, people are throwing stuff at you to make sure that you can, you you can get through and, and finish. It's, it's not, um, so there, there's so much eagerness to help 
mm -hmm. um, and to help new shooters. You know, with, with like with Atlanta Three Gun, that's so much of what we did. Yeah. Is is bring what you got. We'll we'll supplement whatever you need, and we'll get you through through the match um, so that you understand it. And and uh, and people will spend time educating you, walking you through the rules. Um, you know, the safety rules are non-negotiable. Yep. But the rules for somebody that's brand new, we can walk you through. It's <laughs> let's not you know not going to get get worked up about that. Um, let's let's get you comfortable. So it's like. You know, come on out, talk to somebody if you want, send an email, call before, we'll get you set up, we'll help you help help you through through that process. I I was did a three-gun matchup in Tennessee and there was a young kid shooting it, and he had a belt on that like went around him almost twice. <laughs> and you know, and I walked up to the dad and I said, give me a call next week. We'll get we're gonna get him set up with a real belt. Um, and he since has, has outgrown the belt. Um, but, uh, but that's, that's the world that I, th that we live in, um, in the, in the shooting sports. And I think that's what, um, some people don't, don't get or don't understand if they're not in it. Um, they, uh, people are, are just love to help and see people, um, do well and, and grow. And they're always willing to share gear and equipment and, you know, except you, you keep breaking stuff. I was going to say, so um, we really like to share the uh, shotgun rig, right? <laughs> Let's talk about this thing. <laughs> how, did, how did that conversation go? <laughs> so the shotgun rig is a necessary piece of equipment in certain stages in three-gun. It is extremely uncomfortable for men, but marginally uncomfortable for women because they are far more experienced in the discomforts um, throughout their lives. Um, at least that's how I've been educated at a match by somebody. <laughs> I can't hold it together when that story comes out. Oh, yeah. well, and, and the pictures. Oh. Okay. Was that day one or was that day two? Day two. Oh, those day two. Okay. So day we've two. at least gotten a little bit better at knowing each other. So, yeah. um, that's exactly. after we, after we picked up your holster pieces and belt and everything off the ground. Okay, so these two idiots named Kenzie and Betsy go to a three gun match and got hooked up with a bunch of other idiots. <laughs> a bunch of other idiots. That was like my favorite Scott I've ever shot on. And yeah, um, <laughs> God, yes, we had the all shotgun stage, which was a whole cluster. And Jeffrey decided to sit down on the bench, and I'm watching him, uh, you know fiddle with the sh shotgun rig and he starts to complain about how uncomfortable it is to wear a shotgun rig for like five seconds of his life and, <laughs> and I turned and I was like hold on you're complaining about like one minute of your entire life wearing the shotgun rig how about a bra for the rest of your life hmm? Hmm? ladies listening they know so Jeffrey no longer complains about a shotgun rig huh <laughs> I wear it to bed gladly I'm going to use that photo of this podcast at some point. <laughs> it's going to happen. I'm going to drop it in. Yeah. Oh, God. You know, after 30 years of marriage, you'd have thought that I had Everything. learned all my lessons. Apparently no. not. No, no, I got you. I'll take care of it. Yeah. <laughs> now, for the business side of things, when did you actually start Not Right Shooters as a business? 2012. Okay. Why did yeah. you start the company? What was the purpose? So, yeah. Um, 
the whole not right shooters thing was start that logo and everything started out as a joke. Um, because every time, like I said, I, I'm going opposite way of everybody else. And, you know, and they're like, you're not right. You're not right. You're not right. You know, invariably you're standing, I'm standing way over to the right in a box, getting ready to start. And the ROs on the other side going, where's the next where's shooter? The shooter? Yeah. I'm over here. Yeah. You know, and they're like, oh, you know, so I had this, this, this buddy who knew somebody that could draw a logo. So I had, had this gal draw, draw this logo and she sends me the logo and the hat in the logo says lefties on it <laughs> and the gun's in the right hand. <laughs> you like, can't fix stupid Jeffrey. No. So, so that, you know, of course they, they switched it, but, um, it was, it was, um, really just driven by, you know, the, 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 the passion for, for shooting. And looking to try and gain more access to, to information and gear, um, so I got my FFL and started it. Um, and again, remember, originally it was it was kind of like I'm going to cater to to lefties. Well, then I came at, over time, you know, to realize that you would that be broke. It, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm like, yeah, the market is like this big. Um, yeah. Plus, it, there wasn't, you know, you didn't have to have a true lefty gun. There was limitations of it. All of those things started to come into play. Uh, I'll go back to my training with Rob Pincus. Um, I had my Glock, and that was the, it was the first one that you could switch the, the mag release on. Oh. And so I switched the mag release to the other side. <laughs> and, of course, that doesn't work with the old magazine. So he goes to de demo something, and he borrows my gun. <clears throat> and he loads the magazine. Drives the gun out and the magazine falls out because <laughs> it won't lock in. And he does it again and he looks at the gun. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, I switched the thing and he hands me my gun back and he said, You come from weak genes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, but yeah, so, uh, so I, I, I learned over time that it, that there are some things, you know, for lefties that, that, that are truly beneficial. And there are others that are primarily just a, a mental ga gap that you need to need to deal with or get over with. Mm -hmm. um, and, but over time, so I, so now, you know, I, I'm, I'm a class three dealer. So I deal with NFA items, primarily suppressors and SBRs. Um, and then, you know, all of, you know, your accessories and optics and, um, and, and regular firearms. It's not an easy business for, for the, the small person. Um, you know, it's, you know, and you've got, you know, yeah, yeah. dicks and, and those, those folks and they're, you know, uh, sp Academy sports and they're buying, you know, Bass Pro, they're buying million dollar purchase orders, Glocks in my backyard. They don't care about me. Yep. Um, so, so, you know, it's, it's really about trying to service the, the, the people as best as we can. There's a lot of unique products out there and, and specialty type products that sometimes don't get seen. I think one of the benefits of the smaller shot show this year was you had the opportunity to see some things that sometimes you get passed over because these, these major booths with all of their pomp and circumstance that, that are usually there. Um, and, and there are some, some neat products. There's, there are some products that like, really, how did, how did that come to market? I remember uh, you love shotguns. You'll get a kick out of this one. Uh, four or five shot, shot shows ago, there was a, sh a guy out there and he had a shotgun with an led light on the, on the cone. Okay. And it was a, it was a load indicator. Okay. So when it's lit up, 
there's ammo in it. It's loaded. Huh. Cool. So I asked them one question. What happens when the batteries go dead? Well, the light doesn't go on. I said, well, when the light's not on, it's supposed to be empty, right? He said, yeah. I said, there's a problem there. I hadn't thought about that. He's got a booth. He's got a booth at SHOT Show and has produced these shotguns, and nobody asked him that? Jesus. You know, but so there's stuff, stuff like that out there. If there's money, they're going to make it, yeah. and they don't care. Yeah. So, um, and like I said, you know, I've got that box of slings, and I've got box of other accessories. And so no. if I can help people avoid you know, making those, those silly purchases, um, and give them, you know, some, some real life experiences that I've had, and it's only my experiences or what I've seen with and worked with others. Um, so it's not like the end all be all, but you know, they might have fewer slings and fewer accessories sitting in the box. (laughs) Now, the realistically, okay. Like there are some things that you can run the, like, I won't say cheap, but like the affordable stuff. Right. But when it comes to like having gear, guns, or whatever that works long term, you know you want to shoot the sport. Like, what are your recommendations there when it comes to budgeting and spending? Oh, that's a that's a, that's a loaded question. So, yeah. for shooting for shooting sports is different than to me is different than a little bit different than uh, defensive shooting. Oh yeah, defensive. Defense, it's it's got to be incredibly reliable um in in a wide wide range of circumstances um and and it has to have been tested and, and proven we won't we won't recommend firearms that haven't gone through multiple multiple of our our courses and classes we try to hammer them um in in classes over and over again in all kinds of conditions so that well, i think my mind too in defensive just real quick is um a lot of my suits in class are like ah really don't want to spend more than three, 400 bucks, like in total. And I was like, your safety for your rest of your life, three, $400. And it's mind blowing. Oh, I got a used gun. Okay. How many rounds? I don't know. Who owned it? I don't know. Like, it's just, so in that world, like, what would you recommend? In the defensive world? Yeah. So in the defensive world, we recommend almost any major manufacturer. So Smith and Wesson, Glock, HK, SIG, you know, all those major manufacturers. Um, there's some new ones that, that are coming to light a, a, as well. Um, modern striker fire gun with no external safeties. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of physiology as to why we say that and why we do that, um, you know, in a, in a critical dynamic incident or in a counter ambush situation, you want to be able to pull the gun, drive it out on the target, pull the trigger and it go bang and it go bang reliably. Because even um, I might not pull a gun out right and get the grip safety, right? Like that's one of the other right. things. Just yeah, you don't know. Yeah. Um, and and we don't know the problem is we don't know that. We don't know that because there's there's no unless you're gonna do even sim training, um, you still know you're not gonna die. It hurts yeah. like uh, uh, uh but 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 you're not gonna die. This is such a clean podcast for us, Jeff. I know. <laughs> so um, but um uh, so um, so that's 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 a lot of what what we recommend. The, the, and the, and the other part of it is, and this is you know, and I'm sure you run into this all the time. You'll get the question of what gun should I buy? I don't know. It it has to fit your hand. You've got to be able to. You and I'll get a husband and wife or a boyfriend girlfriend, and they want to buy one gun, and he's ah, like six yeah. three with hands, you know, <laughs> massive hands, and she's this petite little girl. Yeah. And I'm like, it's not going to work. Mm-mm. You know, one of you is not going to have a gun that, that fits their hand properly and it's not going to be as easy to shoot, manipulate, all of those things. And so, you know, getting, 
you know, so if I've got somebody that's new that wants to, wants to, I'll take all of what I think are qualified defensive guns that I own, yeah. get them out to the range and we'll start shooting. And you and don't we'll have to fight. pay $10 per gun to shoot. Yeah. Them. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, I mean, let's face it. It's pretty hard to break a gun unless you're Kinsey. I was about to um, say, <laughs> for people watching the video, my eyes just went real small. Like, ah! Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if it went through most, Kinsey, I recommend it for concealed carry. You know? That's right. Um, it's like Kinsey approved and tested. <laughs> Seriously, like, people blew up on, <laughs> on social media. They're like, just send product to Kinsey. You'll know yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. Has it been torture tested? Well, Kinsey used it for a week. <laughs> Sold, 100%. Yes. Um, so that's that's what we, you know, what we recommend. Um, you know, I, I'm a I'm a huge SIG fan for me. Yeah. Because I think the 365 and the 365 XL are fantastic. And I'm um, in Walter for what, world for sure right yeah, now. Yeah. For what they do. The, you know, the, the new Canic met. Yeah. Meaty. What meaty. a package. It is. It is nice. And, and the price point is great. Yep. Um, so we're testing it. We're testing it pretty heavily. It's actually, um, it is the, one of the tour sponsors for the personal defense network tour this year for all of us. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now on the competition side of things, budgeting, gear. Well, I, you know, I, I used to build the shotguns I never built. I bought, all right. Um, um, and handguns, I, I didn't build. I know no people that'll build their, their guns. So, you know, the, the, if you're just getting in, come with whatever you got. Yeah. You know, I shot an 870 shotgun, my first, first shotgun match. First you did, you boomer. Oh. Yeah. And I, and, uh, you know, with the side saddle and, you know, I mean, it was, yes. it was tricked out. Yes. <laughs> and then, uh, the calm uh, light. No. <laughs> yeah. And I shot a Glock for years. Yeah. I shot, I shot a Glock for years. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then as far as the ARs go, I started with a stag cause it was a lefty and I made for me, which is a great story. And one Harvey matches, they laid all the shooters down on this platform where they had these holes like a, like a golf golf hole, mm -hmm. and there was a light in it. So you're down, you're down on this platform, and as and the RO, one of the ROs is behind, and he's lighting up the different lights. Mm -hmm. And when your light lights up, it's your turn to shoot those targets. You have a certain amount of time to hit the, the long range targets. That's cool. So I go all the way to the right, um, and. Yeah. So yeah. I'm all the way to the right. And this, and this guy sitting next to me is like, cool. I ain't going to get hit with that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and my light goes off and he's like, what the heck is going on? Cause the brass is coming out the left yeah. side. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but then, and so from there I went and I started building rifles, mm -hmm. um, for me and I tried to pick the parts that I thought were, were best. And, you know, and, and me and a few buddies, we kind of built the same rifles and we did, you know, some things a little bit different, but we, they're all similar and we were traveling to matches together. So if something happened, we could almost basically take each other's rifle and, and, and run. Right. Um, and, um, and then, you know, what I realized is I'm always tinkering with it. Mm -hmm. I was always tinkering with it. Um, and I didn't want to do that. Um, there's a lot of great manufacturers out there. There's a lot of new manufacturers out there, which some may be really, really good. And some may be terrible because manufacturing tolerances can be all over the place, depending where they're sourcing parts and, and what have you. So, um, to me, 
I think it's worth it. There are some companies out there where I think it's worth spending the extra money to get, get um, a high quality firearm that, ha- that has, especially as it relates to a rifle that comes with a guarantee. Yeah. Um, so um, I tried the Seekins um, rifle five years ago. Um, it had a lifetime warranty. Couldn't couldn't do anything to you know th- that they they wouldn't replace it. In fact, at the shot show, we had a um, there was a a rifle in the case that was part of a cabin fire that melted in the cabin fire, and they replaced it, no questions asked. Um, so um, so I know that I if I buy that rifle and spend spend the extra money and buy that rifle, I'm done. Yeah. As long as it does what I need it to do. If there's any problems, they'll take care of it for the life of, uh, of the rifle, whether I own it or, or I sell it to somebody else. And it was the same thing with with optics. Um, I, I when I first got into this, it's like I'm not paying more than my rifle for an optic. <laughs> uh huh. And then it's like you know you're yeah, having to zero your rifle every 15 minutes yeah, because you're, you're dumping awesome. it in a bucket and all of that stuff. So I about a decade ago I started using Vortex. Um, and it did a couple of things. One, they had the same kind of guarantee. Yeah. You know, run it over with a car, put it in Ziploc, send it to them, they'll replace it. Well, and the, I mean? the cool thing with both those two that I don't think you mentioned is, um, it's not just the first owner of the, of the, correct. yeah, correct. It's, yeah. There's no yeah. registration, no nothing. It's just, if it says Seekins on it, it says Vortex on it. Yeah. You're good. Um, and, uh. And so, so I, you know, I, I went to basically uh, Seekins and, and Vortex um, products and have been shooting them now for five years. Uh, uh, C, uh, Vortex have been shooting for a decade yeah. um, and then the Seekins for, for about five years um, because when I looked at and kind of figured out what I was, how much it was costing me to tinker, mm. It didn't matter if I spent a few ex- a few hundred dollars extra at that time for the seek and dry fly. I'd have been, you know, no problem. Yeah. You know. So, so, um, so my recommendation is is it would be to get the best quality that you can. Um, if if you need to, you know, if if you need to to, um, you know, budget, you know, be smart about it. Um, the, the optic is really important. Um, you can take a really good optic on a mediocre rifle yep, and do, so, a, do, do pretty good. So Becky or Beth, yeah, sorry, Betsy and I, <laughs> Becky, actually Betsy, uh, and I shot a $300 gun. I don't remember what it was, a 308 gun. And I'm not kidding with the scope that, that, you know, she's with Bushnell, but they put the high end, um, match pro or whatever that they were testing mm-hmm. on it. I shot my longest shot to record 1250 yards with a crappy gun with a really good optic. So today, that's that's the goal, <laughs> and that, and that's the thing. So you know, like Vortex just came out with their six to thirty six, and it's like you know four grand or something. Everybody's like, whoa, and I'm like, yeah, but you know, it's it, it, you, you're going to be able to see things. You yeah. know, it's going to hold zero. It's you know, I mean, you know, there's those things are kind of important. You know, I had a, a, a sheriff um, ask me if I could help him with his rifle. Because he was having a problem with the zero, and it's his duty rifle Ugh. in his vehicle. So we go out to his car so I can just at least look at it and see what we're dealing with. 
and he's got a $70 piece of junk red dot on it. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, dude, you're putting your life and somebody else's life on, on the line for that. It's not even him though, right? Wouldn't it be the the police or whoever he works for? No, it's him. Uh, so so the, these duty rifles, a lot of these duty rifles, they have to they supply themselves. Okay. That's so so I you know I helped him get get into something that's far more reliable and he hasn't had a problem since. But that's the th- problem that a lot of people get into. They either see something that's gimmicky mm-hmm. or they're they they're like, you know, spend eighteen hundred dollars on the rifle and then like one hundred and fifty dollars on you know a scope and your and and rings that are made out of pot metal <laughs> and you can't yeah and you can't figure out what you know why you can't hit the target and it's like <laughs> you know yep. use a slingshot that's probably more <laughs> stop uh, so 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 I think you know it's it's important and and uh, to to really try to identify those those companies that that are quality that are going to stand behind their product um cuz they'll 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 tend to make it right yeah. for you um and then you know you buy once you cry once kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Good 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 thoughts. Now are you an MOA or a Mills guy? Mills. Okay. I moved to Mills too. You'd be so proud. Ah, uh, see? See? Yep. There's 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 you know you, I, I made the switch probably four years ago, five years ago. Um, and I'm still learning every day about it. I, you know, this match that we're doing this, this sniper match, we're going to have to range targets through our reticle. Um, so you got to understand that the formula. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and stuff. So, um, it, but, but there's a lot you can do with, with the mill reticle. You can do some of that with it, with the MOA. Mm-hmm. Um, for most stuff, especially, you know, a couple of 300 yards and in MOA is, is probably yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, and you know, everybody wants to say, well, you know, MOA is a lot, lot finer, you know, um, you know, I'm sorry at a thousand yards, Mm-mm. you're, you're not making it, it's a thousand yards. Right. You're not making micro adjustments. Right. I, I remember, uh, we wanted to do a match that was different one day. So Derek and I Giddings. Yeah, we went up to Riverbend and we shot this NRA match, um, <laughs> rifle match. It's open sights, you know, no bipod, no scope, no nothing, and you had to do it sitting, standing, <laughs> it was prone, all these different things. And and you had this period of time where you can zero your rifle, and we didn't have rifles that were made for it. You know, these people are out there and they've got these like fine adjustments, and I'm out there with my Ruger Scout rifle. Nice. A left-handed bolt action Ruger Scout rifle with a with open sights and the front blade is like, you know, an eighth of an inch wide. God. And the guy, the guy that's spotting for me and is on zeroing, he says, You're a little right. I'm like, dude, that blade covers the entire target. Ain't no little right on this thing, as long as I'm on the target. And uh so um, so yeah, it it's uh you know, it's, 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 they all have different, different applications. They, the last stage of that, you have to shoot 20 shots from the prone position. Mm-hmm. And you had 20 minutes. Okay. It, well, you know, our world. Yeah. I'm like, forever. I, I look at Derek. I'm like, what are we going to do for 19 minutes? That's forever. <laughs> the 20 <laughs> shots are going to be gone. So, so we're like, so we shoot five shots, mm-hmm. get up. And we look through the spotting scope, see where we're at, go back and shoot five more shots. And the guy comes down and he says, you know, 
every time you get up, you have to rebuild your position. I'm like, dude, we're prone. What <laughs> rebuilding am I doing? I can't go any lower, you know? And uh, so we st- we finished in like eight minutes Shut and up. everybody else is like <laughs> one shot. <sighs> I'm like, is it a Lamaze class? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I, I thought you weren't judgmental. Oh, I was like, well, I said, the thing is, is, is it's like, come on, it's, it's a hundred yards. Yeah. You hit the target. But, but, you know, it's a different sport. You yeah. know, we didn't have the equipment. We didn't, you know, um, we were out there truly out there just to do something different and have a, have a lot of fun. Um, we've never been invited back, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so did Derek ever send you or tell you about the video I sent him with the uh, Derek's and the Chad's? No. There's a comedy skit. Oh God. From Adam Devine. Um, God, it's so funny. But anyways, so you know, how nobody likes a chat or a Karen. There's also yeah, yeah. Derek's. So there's a whole comedy skit. And I sent him that little video. <laughs> right. Derek and Chad. <laughs> uh, you guys have some fun stories. Actually, do you have any fun road strip stories that you can share with the guys? So uh, I guess one of the, one of the, f- the longest lasting and still to this day story is there were five of us that tripped out to, it was back then it was the LaRue Texas multi-gun championship. Okay. So we, we all drove from, from here out to Texas, you know, me, you know, Mr. Airplane guy, we get to Texas. I'm like, yeah, we're almost there. And he's like, no, we still got like three States 14. worth of Texas to get yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, so the first night at the match, we're done. We go to this Mexican place for dinner. And the, uh, this guy is setting up karaoke. <laughs> and, uh, and one of the guys with us, his name was Carl. Um, and the, the guy was setting up karaoke looked like Carl. <laughs> so... Um, so we're all sitting there joking, having a good time. And this guy gets up and he, and he starts singing Brown Eyed Girl. So I take out my phone and I'm videotaping and our buddy, Larry, um, who shot with us, uh, for years, I'm like, I'm yelling, I'm like, go Carl. And Larry's going, go Carl, go Carl, go Carl. So we post it on the internet and tag him. His phone starts blowing up and he does answer the phone from his wife. And she's like, I thought you were shooting. You're drunk on stage. He's like, honey, it's not me. I'm telling you, it's not me. You guys got me in all this trouble. So he's been known for probably nine years, 10 years, karaoke Carl. Okay. And every time Brown Eyed Girl comes on, he gets a text. <laughs> That's so messed up. And his oh. own wife didn't recognize that it's not him. Oh, no, no. Well, you know, the lighting and everything. It was, it was good. It was, that was, a, then the other one was, we were at Rock Castle and we had trips through a bunch of mud and stuff. And there were six of us there. So we shared the two in each room and one, one set of rooms had adjoining rooms. And then across the hall was Carl and Larry. <laughs> and so it's the last night and it's like, okay, hey, have them come over and we'll have, have some drinks together. Mm-hmm. So I call up there and we knew that they were, they had cleaned their guns using the hotel towels. Oh, I've done. Yeah. We did that at Fort Benning. Yes, we did. <laughs> it's we did. Very, very useful. Uh, um, and, uh, 
so Larry answers the phone and I use my best oh Asian accent, I knew which is not there. <laughs> and tell him that I'm with the laundry department and I want to know what he did to the towels. The laundry department. <laughs> what? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and, our com- and, and, and the rest <laughs> of the guys, Joe and Chris and Mark are laughing in the background. And this conversation with Larry went on for 15 minutes (laughs) about you're going to pay for my towels if you don't tell me. And and we're going back and forth, back and forth. And finally, Carl says, it's the guys across the hall. They're messing with you. He used a little more colorful language, you know, and uh, and finally, we just couldn't keep it in anymore. And and uh, um, and and he came over, but literally kept him on the phone for 15 minutes, arguing about them using my (laughs) towels, um, my hotel towels, um, and then sending them through the laundry. So he, but he remained like on the side of like not sharing information. Who's that Larry? Yeah. For 15 minutes. He never admitted what, what he did. Oh no. He, he argued. No, he said, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah, he, 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 he tried to keep play it straight. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, oh, another question I have that's kind of fun. What's like the coolest thing or the most memorable thing you've ever done in the firearms industry? There's probably two things. Um, the 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 trip to Hat Creek was phenomenal. Um, you know, being able to train in that environment. Um, for for people that don't know, Hat Creek is a is a training complex. Uh, in the mountains of, of uh, Idaho that is serves um, special forces from all over the country and, and even the world. Um, it's a very unique facility. It's not open for civilians. I had the opportunity to train there for a week. Um, you zero your rifles at, at, at 100 meters on, on a flat range, and you never see another flat shot in your life. Um, everything is angles ranging from 30 degrees up to 30 degrees down target sizes of, you know, full torsos to half torsos down to four inch circles. Um, and you're all over the mountain, um, you know, with different kinds of winds. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, and, and there's, there were 16 of us. We, we lived on site in the bunkhouse. Um, it just, it was, and the instructors were phenomenal. Um, all, um, either retired, uh, you know, special force snipers or active special force snipers, uh, and, and mama Misty and, and, and Brian are incredible hosts and, and, and they, they did a great job. Um, and so it was a great, great experience. I'll have the opportunity to go back there again this year. Um, because, you know, where we're at, we don't get a chance to shoot, you know, 1300 yards to the top of a mountain. No. Um, you know, those crazy angles off of different, you know, things. I mean, we were shooting off of rocks where we had to suspend our backpack off the front of the, the, uh, rifle to keep the rifle kind of steady, um, and stuff. So you're, you're out there and you're trying to figure out how do I get a stable platform to shoot off of from this? And you, you know, whether it's using tripods or, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, there was a lot of unique, but it's um, everything that you've packed in a pack. Like you're not, yeah, it's like the gear that you bring. You figure it out with what you got. Yeah, you figure it out with what 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 you got. Yeah. Um, the other was um, a couple of sh- shot shows ago before before shot shows started. I had the opportunity to go out and uh, do some shooting at uh, gunship helicopters, and uh, so it's it's about an hour outside of Las Vegas, 
okay. the middle of nowhere. Um, and so they took me up in the helicopter and we shot full auto targets all around the top of the mountain. Um, and, you know, of course they were playing, you know, the, you know, all of the classic, you know, rock music and, and, uh, and then we shot 50 cows and, 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 and I mean, it's a playground. I mean, they have a tank there. They got, I mean, they had a bunch of stuff there. So that, that was a, a real neat, unique opportunity, um, that, um, that I did, but, but, um, you know, Hat Creek was, was real special. That's awesome. Yeah. No, this industry is, uh, full of experiences and it's like, yeah. just when you're like, I can't one up this something else happens I'm like okay there's more yeah yeah <laughs> so cool um now coming towards the end of this i know you joined the pro staff at eberly stock and then you're on the seekins precision team and you're working with vortex how did all those relationships come to be and like what are what do you do with these companies so you know i seekins was my first uh real sponsor um I had shot Seekins for a number of years um, before that. So, um, you know, and again, you know, I'm a small guy. I don't, you know, uh, I'll, I'll pay for what I, what I, you know, what I want to shoot. I got to believe in it. And, and uh, I was fortunate enough, probably 10, 11, 12 years ago to train with a guy named Matty Nelson um, down in Florida. Um, so I tra trained with him at a, at a facility that was owned by Brian Morgan. Brian Morgan sold that facility and moved to Idaho and built Hat Creek. So Brian and Brian and his wife missed, uh, missed. Um, and, uh, Matt, uh, Maddie was ex green beret sniper, you know, back in the real world and stuff living in Florida. Well, he up and moved and followed Brian Morgan hmm. and, and, um, and he and I stayed in touch, you know, you know, since that training. Um, and, uh, and we, we just, for some reason, we, we hit it off because it was a two day class and I showed up there with my Ruger precision rifle <laughs> and I hadn't shot beyond 300 yards. Cause basically that was our, our three gun world. Yeah. And I took that class because I wanted to learn how to use the optic as a tool and not like as a guess, like, yeah, I think that line's right you know, um, kind of thing. And, um, so the first day, you know, it's, it's kind of like that scene in, in Top Gun, um, where, you know, she's up in front and she says something about the MIG and, and Tom, Tom Hanks, I mean, Tom Cruise goes, bullshit. She's like, you something you want to share? Well, he gets up there and he says tomorrow more by tomorrow morning within the first 10 shots, um, we'll have you out to 800 yards. And I'm like, no way. And like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no way. Like, yeah, you, no way. He said, all right, watch, you know? <laughs> and so we went through all the stuff the first day and the ballistics and zeroing our rifles and learning how to use the Kestrel and all that stuff. And we get out there and he looks at me and goes, I'll have you out there by five. Like, so take the first shot. He gives me an adjustment. Take the second shot. We're on target. He moves me out to the 800 yard target first shot hit. And so from that point forward, we were kind of like connected. There you go. Um, and uh, so he 
Um, when he moved to Idaho, he took the job with Seekins. He builds all of their custom gas guns. Um, and so we've, we've maintained contact, maintained contact. You know, he knew I was shooting their, their guns. Um, and a few years ago, he said, we got to build you a custom gas gun. And so what we did was we got, he got all the parts ready. And then I flew out there with my scope and my, and my suppressor and we built it together and we went up to Hamp Creek to, to, to shoot it and test it. And then when I came back, um, he, they, they asked me to, to, um, shoot for them. And, um, which was for me, was it, was an honor. It was, it really was a no brainer. Yeah. Um, the um because i had been shooting their guns i believed in them um and i knew what their their customer service was right was like and you know so i um so of course i accepted and then i think like a month and a half later i had my heart attack and and maddie's like did we just give you a heart attack i mean what, what, what is that us you know so um and it was the same it's kind of the same story with everly stock and and vortex i've used everly Stock. i've got uh, the pack that i use the most they don't even make that that it that way anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's it's like eleven years old. I I, I still use it. I'll probably it'll probably be the pack that I'll use in this sniper match um, in a few weeks. Um, and uh, and and so I met met the folks from from Everly Stock, um, and they you know they knew what it, what I was doing for for Seekins, um, and they knew my story with their product. And so they had asked me to join their, their, their pro staff. And, and that happened oh, a year and a half ago or so. And then just at the end of last year, um, Vortex asked me to join, join their, their shooting team. And the same thing, you know, when I sat down with them and talked to them, um, I was, um, you know, they, they knew that, you know, I've been using it for a decade. I have a bunch of their products. Um, you know, and I understand the product, I, you know, so I can talk about it. Uh, and so they, they invited me on board. So it wasn't, uh, these weren't, these weren't new folks to me. Um, they were, they're companies that I believe in. I can talk about it. Um, um, I have, you know, experience and I don't, I don't have, you know, when somebody says, oh, well, you know, you, you have to, you know, say, you know, say good things about it because it, no, because I, 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 I used them long before that yeah. and I believed in them long before that. Yeah. And um, all of my, uh, same, I mean, you're the same way. Like we spent money in the products before we ever even were sponsored by them or yeah, I had an offer from them because I'm not going to use anything that's going to hinder my ability to hunt, to make competition shots or to defensively carry. So yeah, yeah a lot of people yeah. don't get that. It's like, I, I've been using this forever. No. And, and like, even at shot show, I spent probably 75% of my time in the Seekins booth, um, you know, you know, talking about their products to different people that came up and and asked them. And, you know, I don't, I don't work for them, but I have, you know, first, firsthand experience with their products. I spent time in the Everly stock booth, um, you know, as well. Everly stock is, is unique because um, there's so many applications for their, for their products. Um, and a lot of their stuff is, is, is built kind of modularly. Okay. So if, you know, if you're not like into like out here in Georgia, we don't have the, these elk hunts where you're, you know, <laughs> pumping miles and, and doing all this stuff. So it's like that part of their product line was something I needed to really learn about. Right. Um, because, you know, here we shoot whitetail yeah. and they're like they're hundred yards from you, you know, yeah. you pull up your car, throw them in the back and get home, you know? 
So, um, so yeah, so, um, but, I, but they're, you know, they're just, they're great companies. Um, they, you know, they support the uh, military. They, um, you know, Seekins basically everything is, is made in house. Like their hip rifle, that their new, their new bolt rifle. The only three parts that they don't make is the trigger, trigger. the, no. the, the grip, the grip and the, uh, and the buttstock uh, pad. Everything else, it. everything they they they, they make uh, in house. So, you know, all the tolerances, quality control, the quality measurements, and and the in the facility, I could sit in a chair, <laughs> and watch this automated like factory machine robot thing mm-hmm. go for hours. That's I mean, me. it is just fascinating. Yeah, that's me at Supervel when they do the little rotating tumbler and it drops yeah. around and then it loads the boxes and it scoots the boxes and like literally like all day I'll just stay there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> Yeah. So it's, um, so that, you know, they're, um, I believe in them. They're, they're great companies that more importantly, the great people, the, yeah. the, the, everybody that I've met at those companies are just, just fantastic people. They care about, um, you know, making the kind of the world a better place. And that's, you know, that's stuff. Maddie, Maddie, I consider like, like a brother to me. He's when I go out there, I'll stay there, you know, and, and Laura will stay with us and, you know, he's, you know, they're just, they're just good, good, good humans. So what did they say to you when you uh, decide to slit your thumb open? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know that joke. <laughs> then what? Yeah. The, uh, uh, well, I, I did get comments of, uh, stick to the firearms. Uh-huh. Um, especially with the rifle, it's kind of hard to get your hand out in front of that thing. Um, I had the opportunity at SHOT Show to meet the man that made the knife. Uh, he came to the Seekins booth and, and I saw him and I walked up and I said, Josh. Jeffrey Abraham, not right shooters. You probably don't know me by my face, but you know this because I sent you a picture. And he's like, oh, my God. You know, so he said I, this was the second worst cut that he is um, he has seen. You're number two. Jeff, come on. You couldn't get number one. Like, what the heck? Well, when he described number one, I don't want that competition. Yeah, it was an individual. I mean, these, these knives are scalpel sharp. Um, it was an individual who did, had the same thing. He had it mounted on his, on his strap. He was riding a horse. He was taking his backpack on and off at different parts of of the ride. And at one point he, he grabbed the pack to throw it over his back and thought he got the strap, got the knife and came across his eye. Oh, Uh, nope. Out. Yeah. But you know, he didn't get his eye. He just got above the brow. Everything was fine, but talk about scary. He said that, that was, yeah. So Hmm. So that was your quality testing. Good job. Good job. Yes. Yes. I, and, and I did, I sent, I, I sent him a picture of my hand all stitched up. Um, cause it went from my knuckle to, it was that big. Um, and, uh, and I said, if anybody questions the sharpness of your knives, feel free to share this picture. And I got, uh, a, an email back from him within about a minute. Oh God, that's funny. Dude, what happened? <laughs> And then about a week later, I got a shirt that has a picture of their knife going through a hand and it says blood brothers. I love that so much. So I have, uh, I have joined the fraternity. God dang. Um, you know, it's funny that they do that marketing stuff. Like if you think about it, that actually is, it's funny and not funny at the same time, but like, I like it. It's kind of like patches or challenge coins or (laughs) you got a shirt. You know, the, the thing is, is the knife came with a warning. I'm sure. It came with a warning because people were pulling it out of the scabbard oh, and their hand would snap back. Mm-mm. So I'm like, okay, well, it's 
my hands aren't going to snap back. Mm. And I just slashed it, pulling it out. So, ah. yeah. And, oh. I, and I came out of where I was walking down the street, trying to get to where my wife was coming towards me to take me to the emergency room. People are pulling over because I had the tourniquet on <laughs> and it packed, but there was blood everywhere. And people oh, yeah. are pulling over and going, hey, man, do you need help? And I'm like, nah, man, I'm okay. And they're like, you know. <laughs> you <imagine laughs> a street with blood everywhere. And he says he's okay. <laughs> that would terrify some families nearby. <laughs> yeah. No pain. There's literally no pain. Interesting. Um, it, yeah. It was, I, I was shocked. You're um, lucky. Yeah. Hmm. Now for going back to the rifles and stuff too, what is the farthest you've shot and uh, some of the challenge coins you've received? So um, the the farthest I've shot is is a mile with the Seekins hip rifle. It's a, a six five Creedmoor. Mm -hmm. um, so there's there's two targets out there. There's a kind of what they consider a standard size target, which was like thirty six inches by thirty six inches, if I'm not mistaken, or it might have been forty eight by forty eight. Okay. Um, so hit that, um, and then they had a one MOA target, which, which is an eighteen inch circular target at a mile. And then I hit that. So I, I earned both of those, those challenge coins with, with the hit rifle. Nice. Um, so we'll be going back out there um, to do the mile again, but we're, we're going to look at trying to extend those distances a little bit longer. The hit rifle is, is, as you know, because we talked about it is a quick switch barrel. So I can take it from the six, five Creedmoor and bump it up to the six, five PRC and get a little bit more push out of it and get a little bit more, more distance out of it. Um, so we'll, we'll see where we can go with that. Super cool. Super. Yeah. Cool. Um, I guess my final thoughts are just, are there any, I guess, news sources or tools or resources or books or anything that you've read throughout your whole career that you would recommend people listen to or read or understand what's really going on in the world? So I guess for real world events, I'm not a big fan of, of, of obviously of media. Um, but I do think that they have a place. I think that it's, it's a mistake for us to listen to only one side of the story, um, regardless of what side you stand on. Um, so if I'm, I'm obviously a second amendment advocate, um, I learn more about how to support the second amendment in when I listen to or hear anti-gun folks cite their rationale and their reasonings. Yeah. And I don't try to argue it. I try to understand it so that I can give them data and information. A lot of information out there is based on falsehoods. It's based on um, rumors. I had a conversation with a local um, councilwoman here and, you know, she was, she's focused, you know, she said to me, well, you know, I'm a mother and I don't want to see another kid, you know, killed. And I said, well, I'm a father. I don't want to see another kid killed. We're on the same page there. Right. It's just how you get there. And she was focusing on suppressors mm. and that we need to outlaw suppressors. And she was f looking at statistics back in 2018 for all of her other statistics. So I went back to 2018 and looked at crimes with suppressors. Nationwide, there were 45 crimes with suppressors. Mm. Nationwide. And she is focusing all her attention 45. On, on, on 45 crimes nationwide with a suppressor when that happens in one day in chicago yeah so so that so so for me it's not about necessarily putting her down it's about okay let's talk about what you're talking about and let's let's help help 
put everything in perspective. And then if you go away and say, I'm still anti-gun, cool. Yeah. I, as long as you're you're taking accurate information and making a, a, a educated decision on it, cool. I'm good with that. Uh, I don't think it, you know that it, it, guns are not for necessarily for everybody. Yeah. Um, but it shouldn't be for you to say that then then they're not for not me. For if, if, yeah. Um, so for me, it's a bit. It's I think it's part of part of education. I mean, you see it. I'm sure you see it in your class. The 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 most uh, most people get educated by Hollywood. Yeah. And that's a problem. So a suppressor is a great example. Your traditional suppressor will reduce the sound report down to somewhere around 135 decibels, which is hearing safe. Mm-hmm. Right. But that 135 decibels is kind of like a country rock concert level. So it's not quiet. Mm-mm. What you see in the movies is manufactured down to about 65 to 75 decibels. And that's what they think the suppressor does. Yeah. But that's not reality. And that's the same reason that they say, can you, sh- why can't you shoot their hand or, or, or their knee? But, you know, because the chest is this big and the hand is this big. Yeah. Yeah. I picked the chest, <laughs> you know, so, um, so, so, so I think news source from news source standpoint, I think you, you, it's part of the responsibility is, is to kind of really matriculate from, from a bunch of different sources. Um, as far as training type stuff, I'm a big fan of the personal defense network, um, because the personal defense network has a cadre of contributors, um, you know, myself included from all different, um, expertises, whether it's first aid, whether it's hand to hand, whether it's knife, whether it's psychological, whether it's, um, an attorney that talks about the aftermath of a shooting, um, lot of, lot of free video there. Yeah. A lot of free articles there. Um, then they have their 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 pay areas for 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 some of that stuff. So you can get a, a wide range of exposure for for training and knowledge and and stuff related to defensive t- uh, type uses. Um, and a lot of that stuff has been um, kind of screened and cleaned and made sure that you know there there isn't uh, you know a bunch of you know myths and stuff going on in there. So that's that's another one. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, I think as you get more and more experience there, you know, there's instructors that I follow and, and listen to and read their posts, you know, some of their stuff I don't necessarily agree with, but other stuff I do agree with. So you can take parts and pieces that the more experience and knowledge you have, you can take the parts and pieces and say, Hey, you know, that might make some sense. You know, let me try it next time at the range or that, that kind of stuff. Um, I think the big thing that people need to understand, in my opinion, is, and this is, you know, when we had the riots, you know, I moved from California. I tell people I escaped from California in 2001. Um, and uh, when we had the riots, a lot of my anti-gun friends from California call me and go, what do I do? Right. And I'm like, hey, man, it's too late. It you, takes. You can't it do nothing. That. Or it's sad that it takes an incident for people to call us because I've had the same thing. Like, oh, yeah. Or, or yeah, if, it, you know. I, I, you know, obviously I am a huge, huge, huge supporter of law enforcement. Mm-hmm. I, I think that in every industry, you know, we have bad apples. Yeah. Um, we have bad actors and we have to deal with them. Um, it's, I think we have to self-police ourselves, even in the, in the, in the gun world, when somebody doesn't do something right, I think we need to help hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. But I think the other part of it is um, we also have to understand the limitations somehow, some way. 
Um, we have, as a society, have come to believe that, that the sole supplier of our protection is law enforcement. And to me, they're a backstop. They're a secondary because they simply cannot respond to everything, especially in a riot type situation, or they cannot respond quick enough. And that's not a knock against them. Yeah. And so I think it's incumbent on us as citizens to identify how I can take care of myself as best as I can with the tools I'm willing to do it with. So if you're not a gun person, cool. There might be something else you want to do. I can tell you, knives cut people pretty good. You know, slingshots <laughs> um, still do damage. Yeah. So, um, so, but there, are, there are things that you can do to to protect yourself or to to be better prepared. And um, and I think that that if that hasn't become obvious to us in the last thirty six months, I don't know what else needs to happen. Yeah. Um, or because, I mean, and even us gun people too on that, that end is that if we're not ready to take a life and we don't need to take a life, you can, you need to have that non-lethal kind of option in between too, right? It doesn't just yes. go from, from fists to firearm. You know, there's so many other, yeah, things in the middle. You know, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the gun should be the last choice as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And, and, and the, one of the biggest arguments I get into in, in classes and stuff is, is the protection of, uh, of property. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody had asked me if people like when they were marching, you know, they went to that gated community and, and stuff like that. If they're marching up your street, what are you going to do? Are you going to fight back? Like, why would I fight back if there's a mob coming up the street? <laughs> Yeah, I'll get a bunch of them, but eventually they're going to get me. They'll overtake me. The zombies. So what, yeah. what, what good is that? Yeah. No, I'm going to I'm gonna load up, be prepared. I'm going to pack in, take my wife, take my dog. We're going to head out the back, you know, the back 40 down in the woods, and we can get out of here. And you're going to leave everything behind? I said, yeah, it's all insured. Yeah. It's all insured. It's, it's, all, it's all insured. My job is to survive. My job is not to fight. I'm not in a war. I mean, it is a war. It seems like a, a, a war, but even in a war, you want to survive. And we're not, I'm not going to be on the offensive, especially in a situation that likely is you're eventually going to lose. Yeah. yeah. And you have another choice. If you don't have a choice, you got no choice. You got to fight. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I, I mean, I wrote an article that's on personal defense network about a gal that got into a taxi here late at night and the taxi driver, um, you know, pulled a gun on she, she, she fought to get out of the vehicle. And the reason she survived, I think, was her mindset. And in the article talked about your greatest defensive tool is your mindset. It's not what you have in your pocket and, you know, on your belt or in your purse or, and stuff like that. It's your mindset. If you have a warrior mindset that I am not going to let this person take me, hurt me, or, or, or kill me without a challenge, because yeah. there's no guarantee you're going to come out okay. Then you're they're all looking for easy marks. Yeah. Her mindset was what helped her survive and get out of that situation. What she didn't know is she had tools in her purse and stuff that she could have used as as a fashioned weapon. Right. Um, And we talk about early talked earlier about training and context. She takes martial arts. She takes martial arts, but her training's on a mat. Not in real. Yeah. Her training's in a ring. So she's not training in context of what if something happens with me and I'm in an Uber yeah, or I'm on a date and and a guy tries something. 
You know, how do I use the skill sets that I've learned in context? So that's why we learn the skills and then we train in context. Um, and we expand the context as we master the skills. Um, so, so that's the, the thing that, that um, I think is important is as we, we're trying to gain knowledge is how do, how do I become better prepared to protect myself and the people I care about, which includes escape. Yeah, and you actually brought up a good point too. There's so few ranges out there that's going to allow you to shoot from a vehicle or really replicate you know, what's going to happen in real life. So if you think about the time spent, you spend a lot of time at home, sleeping, in your car, and if you can find a range or find classes or find instructors, you know, that can teach you how to, to navigate that, that's probably the most important training than just standing and shooting paper in a lane. So, yeah, there, there was two classes that I took. One class was more like a massive science, science experiment. It was I remember really cool. the one where you were telling me you were laying on the ground with a pistol and like upside down, like all around. Yeah, that's our, our unorthodox position uh, class okay. that we do. Actually, it might be coming to Georgia um, at, at, at some point here in 2022. Gotta let me know about um, that. Yeah, because, you know, and the thing, the reality is, is, is that, you know, because everybody gets caught up on stance, 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 yeah. stance. It's like, you know, you, you don't, again, you don't control the environment in which the ambush is going to be. And if you're in your house, you might be shooting from around the bed or under the bed or, or whatever. Yeah. So you don't, it's not square range world. It's no. like, hang on, let me get my feet where yeah, I need them. And, you know, <laughs> hang on, you know, you, you know, so, so that's the thing. Um, so one class we took was, was defense around a vehicle. Okay. So really what it was is we took a car and we shot from inside the car out the window through the windshield. Huh? And to target so we could identify what are the what does a bullet do when it hits the windshield yeah we shot into the vehicle we shot through the trunk through the 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 hood huh? to, and we traced all the, i mean literally we were tracing the bullets through the car by the time we got done with this class we had this carcass of a car with all the parts in it but we had traced all these and we all were using different ammo cool okay so that you could see, and, and what, what you come to realize is that, you know, again, Hollywood, you know, shooting at somebody in a vehicle or near a vehicle, it's not an easy thing to do. The, the, the thing that's going to, you know, divert those bullets, it doesn't take, you know, a little cable, a little wire, and you're not going to hit your target. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was, it was in, so that was one class. The other one was a home defense class where we did scenario training. And, um, and so in, in one of the scenarios and probably, you know, the one that really resonated with me and, 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 uh, and this goes to processing information and, and making proper decisions. So what they did is they, they segregated the entire class. So we were, all, we were all basically cordoned off where we could not see what was going on. They brought one student at a time. They gave them this, this scenario and they ran the scenario and then they stayed there so they couldn't go back and say, oh, this is yeah. here, you know, so. <laughs> and so we get to this one scenario and there's eight of us in this class and they gave us they gave us one basically command or, or scenario sentence, but you could ask questions. Okay. In, in, in the car and he says, you pull up to the house and your front door's kicked in. So. Out of eight of us, seven of us went into the house. I shot the bad guy and the cop and uh, that was in the house um, because they were strangers. Yes. All right. One guy 
he was like number six or seven. Mm -hmm. They say, you pull up and your door's kicked in. He asked one question. Is my family in the house? And the instructor said, no. He picked up the phone. He called 911 and he left. Yeah. And the, to play out the scenario so that you understand how things can be perceived differently. Mm -hmm. Cop pulled over a guy on a felony stop. He ran. He busted down your door to try and hide in your house and the cop followed him in. So that's how that scenario got set up. But you pull up, you don't know anything. All you see is a busted door and you react. Um, so to me, some of those kinds of training, when we talk about cognitive load and stuff like that, that's where you like, oh gosh, you know, yeah. that, you know, that ended really badly. And I thought I knew what was going on. Yeah. So I actually had that happen to me, um, when my family home, when I was, before I left for college in high school, I came home. I was the last person. I knew I was the last person to leave the house. I knew my dad was at work. I just left my mom's work. Cause that's where I was working from. And I had my dog and I opened the front door and I was like, the front door is unlocked. I'm type A. I locked the door behind me. There's no way. I took two steps inside and then I saw TV gone. All this like stuff gone in the house. So I immediately grabbed the dog, get in the car, drove down the street to the car wash, called 911, then called dad. And that's how I reacted. And sure enough, they'd cleaned out the house. But I had the breaking point was actually jumped the high fence into the backyard threw a rock over into like the garage over the washer and dryer and came in through the kitchen door. So had that happen. Um, and I pull up in my class too. I have a police report of the time I called in when someone was trying to get into my back door and the time the police arrived and I held the dude at gunpoint, didn't fire around. I called 911 before I called my friends. Guess who showed up first? Friends. friends. Yeah. 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 So that there's scenarios that you have no idea. Like I've replayed that, you know, hundreds of times over my head of like, there was no vehicles at the house, but could have someone had been there. What would I have done? I was underage, you know? So it's just, I don't it, know. It is. And, and um, so when we talk, that's why the, the, these scenarios, you can't rehearse, it, mm -mm. but you can think about it. So, you know, I use situations like you just described to, to think, okay, what would I have done? How, how would I respond? How should I tell my wife to respond or my son to respond in that situation? I, I did a, a defensive um, consult for somebody at, at, at his property. And um, he had his defensive plan, shotgun by the bed, unloaded. Hmm. So I said to him, are you, you're going to load the shotgun? And he said, yeah. He's got a quad load from his chest ring that he's sleeping with, Jeff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, I mean, you know, um, I told him it's uncomfortable. Um, and uh, um, so, you know, I went downstairs and I said, when you hear your door open, start loading the shotgun with dummy shells. Cause I gave him some dummy shells. Yep. And, and he got two shells in it by the time I got up there. And I said, now think about it. You're in dead, dead, dead of night sleep. You hear this crash. How long is it going to take you to recognize that you even have to do that? That's number one. Mm -hmm. Then you've got the door is here. The bed is here. He's sleeping on the far side of the bed. His wife's on this side of the bed. I'm like, what are you going to do? You're going to lay that shotgun over the top of your wife, shoot over the top of her. I mean, so you know, that's the thing that you, so you want to talk about these things. And, and he talked about going through the house yeah. um, to try and get to his kids. Yeah. His kids are all adults. They're all in college. Like they need a plan that they can execute. They're adults. 
So if you got an infant, a, a, a toddler, a young kid, absolutely. Yeah. But you got an adult kid. Here's your escape plan if this happens. Here's where you're on to view. Here's all of these things. The adult uh, kids are worse, though. Um, there's someone in the firearms industry. You probably know him or heard the story. But he had his uh, young daughter who was in her teen years, had a boyfriend sneak into the house, had the noise happen, and he totally had a gun on <laughs> the girl's boyfriend. It's not funny. <laughs> but he recognized it, didn't have his finger on the trigger, you know, processed it. Yes. But, dude, the kid could – it's not funny. But yeah. – yeah. Yeah. So, I, but the, you know, so that's the thing is, is you just gotta, you gotta think it through. And, and to me, especially in the house situation, yeah. if you can't, if you can get out, get out and get away. Yeah. Um, and, and adult kids, give them an escape, give them a plan, give them. A, and if not, then barricade, Yeah. but don't yeah. go searching through your house. Nope. You're not a cop. You're not trained. You're not, you know, you know, get on the phone with 911, keep the line open with 911. And and uh, and work it that way. Yeah. Um, if you have to respond, you have to respond. I mean, you have to be prepared to, but don't go looking for it. Because yeah. I mean, I I've I've tell people, you know, leave your purse downstairs, leave your wallet downstairs. That's what they want. If they, yep. if they come in and they get that, they might not ever try to come upstairs. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you want to wake up the next day. Yeah, it's a pain in the butt. Your credit cards, your license, all that stuff. <laughs> But you get to wake up the next day. That's You're not in a in a box being put in the ground. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> no, but but I mean, you know, but just sometimes you have to have the conversation that frankly yeah. for them to to really kind of you know think it through. So playing through the, some of the scenarios that you see on the news and stuff like that, and thinking, well, what would I do? How would I handle it? How does that apply to my house or my lifestyle? Um, I think is, is, is real important. I mean, we, in fact, we hadn't talked much about it, but you know, this, the kind of off body carry versus on body carry. I'm sure you get a lot on, on that kind of stuff. I can't and, uh, get it into females minds that the purse is the number one problem and not just the purse, but if it is on body and they've got their purse on their dominant hand shoulder, that's a whole mess of things that you've got to go through. That's why you see me in the, the stupid little backpack, right? Cause I'm five years old, but there's a reason for it or the crossbody needs to be at the correct direction. I mean, females are so different from males that males are never going to think about it. Um, except for like really good trained instructors that understand. Um, but it's really, 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 really frustrating. Hey, the person's gone. Now what? Huh? Yeah. 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 No, it's, you know, I'm not, you know, obviously the, the off body carry is not the ideal yeah. choice it's but you have to look at lifestyle mm-hmm. you have to look at what your job is and activity levels and yep. and all of all of those you know what clothes you have to wear and <laughs> stuff like that but but there are um you know there's a, a, it is far 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 more difficult for women um because men can usually find a way way to, to carry on on body yeah. but you know but the, there's been a, a huge huge push in in the last probably decade um and especially in the last five years that give women some some significant alternatives for on body carry um the the big thing that i get concerned with um with with on body carry with with some women and even and even men that do this um well, and, and when I'm wearing a suit, I use this. And when I'm wearing a, a dress, I use this and stuff like that. The problem is if you don't train with those, your response is not going to be there. So if sometimes you carry center line and sometimes you carry, 
um, you know, back, back of the hip or nine o'clock or three o'clock. You know, Your hand's going to have no clue where to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, so you've got to train the way you're going to be carrying. Um, and you'll load it based on maybe the, the highest percentage to the lowest percentage. But, you know, so, you know, you see like, you know, that they, they have the, the, you know, the holster for women that's in, in the uh, like kind of like the bustier type type deals and stuff like that. If you're not practicing a draw from that, um, you're in trouble. Yep. You know, um, it's nice that you've got a gun on you, but it's not a force field. No, I just, it's amazing. Like you're going to go down your neck, you're going to come up from it. And if you're coming up from it and the grip's on top of it, how are you going to do that? It just, it, it, it's mind boggling. I actually, Betsy took my class years ago and I remember she's like, I want a purse carry. I was like, cool. So I got her a little set up in the purse. I was like, go ahead now try and get that out. And she was like, Oh, she's trying to get it out and keep the loop and shoot through it. And you know, they want to have two hands on it. And most of the time you might have one hand and maybe you got to shoot through the purse. I don't know. But I was just like, now you've got to practice that. And she just looks at me like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, so, you know, anything you're going to do from a personal defense standpoint, you've got to practice, you got to learn the skill, develop it, practice it in context. You know, I mean, yeah, you'll look funny. You show up there in you know, high heels and a dress, but guess what? If that's what you have to wear to work, yeah. then maybe that's what you need to practice in. Jeff, how long have you practiced it in heels and a dress? Only after 10 o'clock on Friday nights. <laughs> such a good sport (laughs) (laughs) oh man you don't think i'm going to the gym for all these booty workouts (laughs) to look good in those heels that's right but boy they make my calves cramp (laughs) eat more pickles Uh, (laughs) well two types of pickles okay we've digressed um (laughs) dang well are there any final thoughts that you want to leave listeners with whether it's related to that or anything else that we've talked about um i I think for me there's 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 a few things one if you're part of the firearms industry really be look to advocate for the second amendment any way you can and i know that there there are folks um, that want to draw lines, political lines, um, gender lines, and those kinds of things. Um, the worst thing that we can do in, in the Second Amendment community is draw lines in the sand like that. I think we've got to be, like we've experienced in the in the shooting sports, I think that we need to be welcoming. Um, we need to help educate people. You see it online all the time. Somebody asks a, a beginner question, and they get just blasted. It's yeah. like, what a stupid question, blah, 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 blah. It's like, you know what? 25 or 30 years ago, maybe you asked that question yep. and you just didn't have the format to ask it in such a public venue. And now they um, can explain it to you. Yeah. So, so, you know, to me that, that that's, that's part of our responsibility in continuing the, the, the growth of the second amendment. I spent time in, in, in Washington, DC. Um, and, and there's a lot of stuff that we don't, uh, we don't see. And there's a lot of misconceptions out there and it's our job to try and get those gone. Um, and then as far as, you know, getting involved with, with, with firearms, just do it. You know, if you want to go out and shoot a sport, if you're in the Atlanta area, look me up. Um, I'll meet you at the range. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to expose you to, to, to the sports. I'm happy to expose you to defensive shooting. If you're going to do defensive shooting, train defensive shooting. Um, it's not a force field just because you have a gun doesn't mean that you're safe. 
Um, you've got to train the skills. You've got to develop the skills. You've got to train them in context. And they're wasting skills, just like our shooting skills in competition. You know, I mean, you know, it's so you've got you've got to train it. Um, but get out there and do it. Ask questions. Find qualified instructors. Not everybody, um, in my opinion, is, is, is truly qualified. Um, so find out what their what their qualifications are. And I know this is going to you know ruffle some feathers. But somebody just because somebody's been in law enforcement or military doesn't make them qualified uh, um, instructor for the civilian world. Um, you know, so it you know find somebody that that trusts you. You're 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 taking your life and others' lives in, in, in your hands when you're doing it. So so take it seriously. Give it give it the the respect it deserves. Beautiful, beautiful. I know you already mentioned this before, but I want to give you time for any shout outs to sponsors and people that are supporting the industry. Yeah, um, huge shout out to uh, my sponsor, Seekins Precision. They they are they're fantastic. If you're looking for rifles, um, hunting um, gas gas guns or or precision, they've they've broken into the precision world. Um, they are they are definitely one of the leaders in innovation, quality, and customer service. Huge huge supporters. Um, Everly Stock Packs. Uh, you know, they're not, uh, they're heavy in, in the, in the hunting world. Uh, but they've got, you know, everyday carry packs, you know, just for day hikes, they've got my briefcases and never stock briefcase. No um, way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they've got, they've got a wide, wide range of, of products to all different sizes. Um, you know, uh, and, uh, quality is great. Um, in it, you know, all of these companies, um, they they're they're designed by users they're not um it's not engineers sitting in a cad machine and going oh this looks good and, and then you know like it doesn't work um it it, it doesn't hold up it does, it's not comfortable um and then vortex optics um vortex optics again continues to innovate and grow and and, and develop their products um they just got a big win with 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 the military contract that, that got announced today um, but they're, they're very heavy in the, in the civilian and the competition side. They're also big, big supporters of, of our competitions that we shoot all across the country. Um, and so, um, and, and all three of those companies are basically, uh, privately owned businesses, family owned type businesses. So, um, supporting the, the small guys is, is big. So I appreciate all they do for me. Um, they, they make my life a lot easier. Love it. All right, Jeff, final, final thing. How can people find you on social media and what's your website? The uh, website is notrightshooters.com. Um, clever, right? Um, <laughs> and you can find me on Facebook at Jeffrey Abraham or Not Right Shooters. Um, I'll usually cross post in, in, in both places. Um, and then on uh, Instagram, it's also Not Right Shooters. And on Twitter, it's not right shooters, but it's S H O O T R Z. Yeah, well, that's because they don't they don't give me enough characters. I'm one character short, so that's funny, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, but yeah, you can reach out to me, DM me if you have questions about anything we talked about here, or um, just curious, or you're in the Atlanta area, want to try out a Seekins rifle or or anything like that. I'm happy to get with you. We will have some some defensive shooting courses coming up here um, this year, and those will get posted on my website uh, pretty soon. If you guys heard it here on the podcast about not right shooters, 
when you start the email off, ask him if you can borrow a shotgun. (laughs) 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 And then he'll know exactly where you came from. (laughs) That's right. I won't need to know where the referral was. I love it. Oh, man, listeners, thanks for tuning in. Um, And we'll be back next week with an all new episode of the Reticle Up podcast. Thanks for listening to the Reticle Up podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at Reticle Up or 3 Gun Kenzie.